In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant to the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have 
have regard for the covenant of the Lord. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Do not forget the clamor of your foes. O God, remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old. Do not forget the life of the poor forever. Let not the poor and needy praise your name. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. regard for the covenant, O Lord. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high. We praise Thee, we bless Thee, we worship Thee, we glorify Thee, we give thanks to Thee for Thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sin of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord, Thou only O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, our most high, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. 
Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you have promised and make us to love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament lesson for this, the 13th Sunday after the Trinity, is written in the 28th chapter of the second book of the Chronicles, beginning at the 8th verse. The men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their kin, women, sons, and daughters, and they also took much spoil from them, and they brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded, and he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves. Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? Now hear me. I send back the captives from your relatives whom you have taken, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Certain chiefs also of the men of Ephraim, Asariah the son of Johanan, Berechiah the son of Meshulamah, Jezekiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who were coming from the war and said unto them, You shall not bring the captives in here, for you propose to bring guilt upon us against the Lord in addition to our present sins and guilt. For our guilt is already great, and there is a fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives in the spoil for the princes and all the assembly. And the men who had been mentioned by name rose and took the captives. And with the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them. They clothed them and gave them sandals and provided them food and drink and anointed them. And carrying all the feeble, feeble among them on donkeys, they brought them to their kinsfolk at Jericho, the city of Palms. Then they returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. The epistle lesson is written in the third chapter of St. Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, beginning at the 15th verse. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law came, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, 
so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Alleluia. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry to you day and night. Alleluia. Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the 23rd verse. Glory be to thee. Then the turning of the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are eyes, the eyes that see what you have seen. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what is written in the Torah? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered right. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, When he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
And the next day, the two, he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you more you spend, I will repay you when I return. Which of these three do you think proved a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Predicting uh, routine behavior is pretty simple when everybody's of the same culture. In fact, we rarely even bother to do it consciously. We react only to the unusual. So I was having dinner with Cynthia, and we were at a, re- we were at a restaurant that we had never been to before. It, um, I took it to be sort of Middle Eastern in its, in its food and the people working there. And our waiter, I thought, was a little too subservient. And so I was trying to illustrate this idea of, of how we unconsciously make decisions. And so I, I told Cynthia, I said, now take our waiter, for instance. He is probably not merely the waiter. He's probably the owner. And not only that, but he's from Iran where his family or he had a series of restaurants um, that were very successful. And she said, well, how do you know that? And I, and I thought to myself, yeah, how do I know that? I was just guessing. And, um, or, maybe, or was I? Or maybe I was just discovering it or calling it up. But anyways, as we went on talking and our waiter you know, was doing other things with other customers, I began to run it over in my mind. How did I know he was from Iran? How did I know that he's not from India because there was a picture of an Indian elephant on the wall? Maybe he's Indian. And, you know, and how do, you know, it's, he's probably Indian. He's, he's probably not the owner. You know, I'd completely almost talked myself out of my theory by the time the waiter had come back to the table. And so I asked the waiter, I said, uh, who owns the restaurant? And he said, well, I do. I said, really? He said, yeah, my family owned a bunch of restaurants in Iran and we sold them to come to the United States, and I opened this restaurant. And he turned to Cynthia, and he said, you're from Texas, aren't you? And she has no Texas accent, and she said, how do you know that? And he said, well, you have Texas eyes. So recalls Gavin DeBecker in his book, The Gift of Fear. And if I asked you, Right now, I'll give you a, a, you know, if I ask you, you if you didn't know the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I just said, okay, there's there's a priest, there's a Levite, and then there's a Samaritan, and they're all on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and they come upon a guy that looks like he's he's either dead or pretty close to it on the side of the road. Who who would be the one that intervenes to help him? If you didn't already know the story from the scriptures, who would you say? Or to maybe give it a more contemporary context, if I said I said. uh, there, there is a, there's a, a, an American on the side of the road. He's left for dead. He's naked, left for dead. He's, he's completely almost dead on the side of the road. In, 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 a, in a, uh, an American, a U.S. diplomat, a U.S. contractor, and a Taliban came through. Who would help him? Well, I know you wouldn't say the Taliban guy, right? It'd be the U.S. diplomat or the U.S. contractor, right? And you would be wrong. You see, that, that's, how, that's how inflammatory this Good Samaritan story is. In, in 20 years, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, who was at, it was at the American University in Beirut, said in 20 years of being a professor living in Lebanon, he never had the courage to tell a group of Israelis, Israelis about the good Palestinian or a group of Palestinians about the good Israeli. Because he said it was just too, it was just too, it, it was just too inflammatory. So this story is really, really radical, isn't it? Who would be the one that would really help the guy on the side of the road? Well, let's consider the victim. Let's consider his rescuer. 
the victim. He's intentionally anonymous. Why? Why is he intentionally anonymous? Well, he's assumed to be a Jew or a Hebrew. But he's anonymous because this, this, this person on the side of the road, this naked, bleeding person that really you couldn't tell whether he's alive or dead, because half dead means you're literally so close to death you can't really tell unless you touch, touch the person and like check for a pulse and turn him over and look for breathing, right? You, you can't really tell, you know, who, you know he, he's been completely abandoned, right? But he's, he, he represents every man. He represents us. He's the person on the side of the road that you say, but by the grace of God, there go why. He's us, if you will. And this is a very common thing to happen in the ancient, ancient Middle East. According to J.S. Buckingham, who was a British, famous British traveler who spent a lot of time in the Middle East, he said that literally he was on a road one time between, near Capernaum, and, and, and uh, it was attacked by robbers. And two of, the, um, two of the guys in his party resisted, and they were literally beaten to a pulp because they resisted. So this, this, this anonymous person had resisted. He's not some sheep that he's just going to attack, take his, his, his attack uh, willingly. No, he, he fought back, and he paid the price. And this is a very common thing. William Thompson, another uh, traveler who spent time in the Middle East in the 1850s, he said he was with a large group that had armed guards, and one of the people in their party had kind of fallen behind a little bit, and immediately the guy was attacked, stripped, and left for dead on the side of the road. Same road, the same road to Jericho from Jerusalem. So this is a real, this is a real situation. This scenario is not an unusual one in the Middle East, right? And, and the problem with, the other problem with the Middle East is that it's not like the United States, where in the United States, we kind of like good Samaritans. We kind of think you should like, stop your car and help somebody that clearly is in need. The Middle East isn't like that. The Middle East is a lot of different tribal groups and a lot of different ethnicities, and none of them like each other. <laughs> none of them. Right? So to help somebody outside your tribal group or outside your family group or outside your people group, it is really discouraged, and, and, it, and it almost never happens. Right? And, and so what, what it's important to do is the traveler has to identify who the other strangers on the road are. And how do you do that? You do that two ways. You do that through what they're wearing and how they speak. What they're wearing and how they speak. Well, the, the, the unknown man on the side of the road, half dead, he's not speaking. And he's naked. So how do we know that he's even a Jew or a Hebrew? Right? You know, because you're not supposed to help those who aren't part of your Hebrew, part of your people group. Larentine, one time traveling through Palestine in the 1830s, records how a large group of Arabs were, you could tell from a distance that they were from Nobilis, because they wore a distinctive costume. So the priest and the Levite, you know, we want to condemn them for having hard hearts or not helping, but, but why should they help? Why should they? They don't know that the guy on the side of the road is a Jew. I mean, it's assumed that he's a Jew. I mean, tradition says he's a Jew, but there's nothing in the text to indicate that he's, that he's Hebrew. So why should they help? So they're coming down, right? They're coming down the road. And the road has a, the Roman road that goes to Jericho. It's, it's really well engineered. So there's almost no decline. The, the grade is so, is so fine 
that you, it looks almost flat. It's like an illusion. It looks flat. And you can, because it's a desert, deserty area, the air is very clear, and you can literally see for miles. And so the understanding in the writer with, the, with Luke is that the understanding is that you could, that, that the priest is visible to the Levite, and that they're both visible to the Samaritan. You know, it's kind of like on the interstate when there's a bunch of cars in a row, but they're, 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 there's a little bit of distance between them. Kind of like that. And so the, so the Levite is watching what the priest is doing. And what does the priest do? He goes by on the other side. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons why he might have chosen not to stop. I mean, one of them was, first of all, he doesn't know who it is. There's a, there's, the Torah forbids priests from touching dead people. And if they do touch dead people, so the guy's on the side running, he appears to be dead. Well, what if he is dead? Well, then he's got to turn around and go back to Jerusalem, and he's got to sacrifice a red heifer, which is very expensive, and he's going to spend a week doing it, which is time expensive. You know, and, and all for what? And it might have been a dead body of a, of a Canaanite or a Samaritan or some other filthy, unclean enemy. Oh, right? Furthermore, rabbinic law, the law, you know, not, not God's law, but the rabbis, the rabbinic law, forbid good Hebrews or good Jews from helping sinners, right? You're not supposed to help sinners. Because the first century Judaism almost had like a, they almost had like a karma under, almost like the Hindus, where they have an understanding of like karma. So like, you know, everybody gets what they deserve. And so why, you, don't, you don't help sinners. You don't help God's enemies. Because helping God's enemies is basically like, you know, it's like fighting against God almost. That understanding. That's why the, the great rabbi Ben Shirach cautions against helping any pagan stranger. So why would he why would he help somebody that might be an enemy of God? Maybe that person's on the side of the road, stripped naked and dying, because that's what they deserve. So why should I help them? Maybe that's what the priest figured. I don't know. Good question. So he doesn't. He doesn't help them. And then the Levite arrives, and why doesn't he help? Well, one reason is, is because the priest didn't, I'm sure. The priest is his boss. I mean, you don't want to make the boss look bad, right? And the boss can see him. At least, potentially could turn around and see him. Because you wouldn't be looking around and checking your back trail. You wouldn't just be going straight ahead, assuming nobody's behind you, running up to attack you. I mean, you're going to be trying to be very aware of what your surroundings. So yeah, you're going to be looking at the Levites some. But he almost intervened. It says that the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came, looked, and passed by on the other side. So he almost, almost intervened. He was really thinking about it hard, but then decides against it. And again, why? Probably because his boss, like I said before, didn't do it. Right? But not only that, but what, 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 one reason we shouldn't condemn the priest and the Levite so quickly is that culturally, there's something that we don't understand about the Middle East, in that the Middle East is an honor culture, and an honor culture that believes in private revenge, right? And so among Middle Eastern, the Middle Eastern cultures, if, if you stop and help somebody who is wounded or injured, and for some reason that person dies, or that person doesn't fully recover, you are assumed, you the Good Samaritan, are assumed to be either the, the direct cause or, or a secondary cause of that person's uh, injuries. And revenge is taken out by the family against you. So by stopping to help this person, 
literally they open themselves up to the revenge of the family or the tribe or the clan that these people are from. Now, I know this is irrational, but as Dr. Kenneth Bailey says, you know, you know, you know ira- irrational people do not make rational judgments. Right? I mean, the, the situation is very similar to the American frontier. It'd, be, it'd almost be like if um, during the, uh, the times of the Old West, if you had like a Kiowa Indian and, you know, this Kiowa brings in a cowboy over, over, the, over the saddle who's been scalped and is severely injured. And then the Indian goes and he, he checks him into the local saloon and takes him into a room upstairs and nurt, tries to nurse him back to health. How, how long do you think it would take before there were lynch mob born to, kill, to, to hang the Kiowa Indian? Wouldn't take long, would it? I mean, would, would the Indian survive that night? Doubtful. Doubtful in 1875 that that would have happened. He would have survived that night. And it's the same thing going on here. When that Samaritan stops on the side of the road and and goes to this man and bandages up his wounds and begins to pour oil oil and wine on them and then sets him on his own animal and brings him to an inn and takes care of him, this Samaritan is doing exactly what that Kiowa Indian would be doing. He's taking the same risk. He's placing himself in the same place of danger, of revenge from the wounded man's family, friends, in extended tribal connections. Absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. He is literally putting his life in danger. The, 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 Luke assumes, the assumption here is that this Samaritan is probably a middle class or upper, upper middle class merchant with several animals and probably a lot of wealth. And he's endangering all of it by helping this, this, this anonymous stranger who most likely is his own enemy. Because the Jews at this time in history hated the Samaritans, prayed to God that God would destroy them every, every, every uh, Sabbath at the synagogue. So the symbolism here is very powerful. This, the symbolism here is clear and strong that God, who, who, repre- who is represented by the Good Samaritan, is the one who comes and saves those who are his enemies. Right? That God, out of his, out of his freedom acts to save us even though we are his enemies that's and it's amazing right it's amazing and god from our perspective is a rejected outsider right i mean like the samaritan isn't he a rejected outsider he is i mean we read in john 1 11 that he came to his own and his own did not receive him that he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him He was despised, he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not, Isaiah 53, 3. Which is why the Messiah in Psalm 22 cries out, all who see me mock me, and they sneer and they shake their heads. Right? Isn't that what we're doing? You know? We list all the things on Facebook that we're doing every week. We're going to do this, and we're doing that, and we do this other stuff, and we go to school, and we go to work, and we go all these activities that we think are so important, and yet for some reason we're afraid to come to church. I mean, you're not. You're here. So many of our our brother and sister believers are afraid to come to church, but they're not afraid to go anywhere else. You think Jesus feels a little despised? I think he does. I think he does. 
that these words of Christ describe us, unfortunately, too often. Too often. Too often, we are the priest and the Levite who passes Jesus by on the other side of the road. And yet, the the Good Samaritan comes and he rescues the man on the side of the road who also represents us. And what does the Good Samaritan do? He does several things I think that are very important to look at a little bit more in depth. The first thing he does, he pours oil and wine on the man's wounds. And what's interesting about this is that is that oil and wine were forbidden objects if they come from somebody who is considered a sinner, like the Samaritan. Not only that, but he has to pay a tithe on them. So therefore, by accepting these oil and wine from the, from the Samaritan, even though he's wounded, he must pay a tithe on it. And he has no money. He has no way to pay a tithe on it. So that, so that he is literally receiving something that he's not paying God for, and so by the very action himself is becoming unclean. And he also can't afford to pay the hotel bill because he's, he was brought in naked and robbed. And so if the, if, the, if the owner, if the Good Samaritan doesn't leave money and promise to pay the bill, the, the wounded man, when he recovers, will be thrown in prison. And plus will be liable for the tithe on the wine and oil itself. And so a good rabbi, the, the, the Pharisaical rabbis of the first, first century would have, would have instructed this man to tell this, this dirty Samaritan to be gone, and, and I will none of your oil and none of your wine. Thirdly, consider how the Samaritan transported him. He put him on his own animal. He put him, think about that, he put him on his own animal. Now for us, that's kind of like a matter of course, right? We would, if we had an animal and we came on somebody that was wounded, we'd get off our horse and we'd drape the guy over and we'd lead the horse lead the mule or the donkey. But not in the Middle East you don't do that. No, you don't do that at all. Lewis, the great Swiss uh, traveler, Lewis Burkhart, once shocked his Middle Eastern traveling companions by allowing his servant to ride on his camel while Burkhart held the reins and walked in front of it. The The Arabs were shocked. They couldn't believe he would do that. It's such a cultural taboo. Kenneth Bailey said the same thing. He was never able to get one of his Palestinian guides to ever ride on the donkey with him or, or let him take a turn on the donkey ever in, in decades. And so, for, and so for the good Samaritan who represents Jesus here to do, to do this, he is showing an act of humility and self-giving love that is, it is just completely shocking in its profundity. Not only that, but as I said earlier, if this man dies in the Good Samaritan's care, his family will be out for the Samaritan's blood. Yes, the Good Samaritan shows us what kind of Messiah we have and and how we are to walk in his footsteps. For this Samaritan is both merciful and courageously brave in his his willingness to help those who need help. And so should we be. And so should we be. Right? And, and, and he makes a commitment finally to return and take care of the wounded man and pay for his debts, anything else that, that, that is outstanding. And Jesus Christ does the same thing for us. For Jesus Christ, through his church, 
cares for us. He doesn't just, he doesn't just make us be born again of water and the Spirit and leave us to our own devices, as some erroneously teach, but rather He comes to us daily through His words and His, his sacrament of the altar and feeds us and sustains us and continues to care for us through the ministry of His Holy Church. As daily, He comes to us and forgives us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yes, as the North African early church father, St. Augustine of Hippo, once observed, he said, the robbers left you, he's talking to us, he left you half dead on the road, but you have been found lying there by the passing and kindly Samaritan. Wine and oil have been poured on you, and you have received the sacrament of the only begotten Son. You have been lifted onto his mule. You have believed that Christ became flesh, and you have been brought to the inn, and you are being cured in the church. So that's what the inn is. And that is where and why I am speaking. This, this is what I too, what all of us are doing. We are performing the duty of the innkeeper. He was told, if you spend any money, I will repay you when I return. If we only spent at least as much as we have received, says Augustine, however much we spend, brothers, it is the Lord's money. In the name of Jesus, amen.
just uh, welcome all of you today that uh, braved the storm. I'm so glad you're here. Um, just uh, up, just a few updates in the blue news. Um, this uh, coming uh, Saturday is September 4th, and there will be a swaddling close from 9 to 12. So if, if y'all normally volunteer for that or want to support that, that's a great thing to do um, as well. And also the 11th, we will begin our, uh, you know, uh, will be the uh, women's Bible class will start. So we look forward to that as well. And um, and also we have a couple um, announcements. One, uh, Kelly Freeman asked that we pray for his dad, Walter, uh, who is in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. Uh, and is 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 uh, doing somewhat better, but still is is you know very much uh, sick, very sick. We also have a couple other members of the parish that I found out yesterday either have COVID, or were exposed to COVID, and we have several other members who have COVID but are getting better. So um, and um, I, I don't know that they want their names shared. So just to let you all know though that there there are some that just came down with it and some that are getting better. Um, so good. Uh, and also, uh, we have a prayer request for those who are staying on the coast. I know of one uh, colleague for sure that's going to shelter in place uh, in New Orleans. And um, so I know our district president ordered everybody out of the city, but um, in the, out of the area, but some of them are going to stay. So we pray that they'll be safe. The Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for those who in faith, piety, and the fear of God offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation, all our people, for our president and Congress, <clears throat> for our governor and the legislature of Alabama, for our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound uh, and the infirm, Especially, we pray this day for, for Bob and Jackie, for Norma, for Doris, for Eddie, for Kim, for Suzette, for Bill and Bob and Sandra, for Hunter and Chris, for Gail and Therese, for Marion and Clayton, Meredith and James, for George, Larry Dean, Earl and, and uh, Suzette, for Bob and Mallory, Mark and Hank, Sandy and Megan and Isaac and Marilyn. We also pray for Martha and John. We pray for Patty and Cecil, Michelle and Carl, Karen and Jimmy, for Tina and Ainsley, for Kevin and Ron, Mary Ellen and Brian, Natalie and Thelma, Jesse and Ralph, Theo and Easton, Doug, Fallon, Colby, Jamie, Audra and Francis. And we also pray for the families of our parish who mourn, especially the Gershenslager family, the Johnston and Williams family. Bird and Ulrich family. We pray also for the Givens family, the Miles family, the Ellis family, the Smith and the Overy families. And we pray, Heavenly Father, also for those in the service of our country's armed forces, especially for Riley as she uh, leaves tomorrow for basic training, for Paul, for Turner, 
for Paul Hayden. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for all of our university students, including Colleen, Noah, Harrison, John, Katie, Dylan, Audrey, Dylan, Sarah, Olivia, Jason, Jacob, Minnie, Emma, Jason, and Aiden. And we pray, Heavenly Father, also for for all those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure, devout, and holy hope. And in the communion of Christ's holy church, let us pray to the Lord. Recalling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray especially um, for Walter Freeman and all others who are sick with COVID, whether at home or in the hospital, and also for the nurses and doctors and, and all, all those involved in medicine that are seeking to, um, seeking to care for them. Lord God, Heavenly Father, the almighty and everlasting God and salvation of them that believe in thee, hear our prayers on behalf of all thy servants who are sick with COVID or other ailments. We also pray, Heavenly Father, that you be with the nurses, doctors, and others who care for these people. We implore thy aid and mercy for them, that the doctors and nurses might be safe from this pestilence, and that those who are sick would be restored to health, so that all of them might render thanks to thee in thy church. Through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We pray also for... Um, those who are those who are staying on the Gulf Coast, on the coast, who are trying to ride out Hurricane Ida in their homes. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are with Abraham and Sarah in their many years of pilgrimage. You are with the wise men as you brought them to the infant Jesus and brought them home safe again. We pray for those who have evacuated from the hurricane that you would keep them safe on the road and pray for those who have chosen to stay in their homes during this time, that you would keep them safe from harm as well. We pray that this storm would not harm their property nor person, and that, that when it is over, it will only be for the benefit of nature and not, not, would not hurt, hurt anyone. We ask this in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you, Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And finally, we pray for all those uh, of our countrymen who are who are uh, in, in Afghanistan and are seeking to return home. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we also pray for those Americans who are in Afghanistan or in that region who are seeking to leave. We pray that you would be with them during this time and that you would make a way for their, them to leave in safety so that their homecomings would be joyful. We pray that you would protect them from harm and bring them home quickly and safely. We ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.